Okay, we are on with Bill Cohen, who is a, a professional acquaintance and also a friend who has done fantastic work and written some of the more thoughtful, rigorous books about the financial crisis and some of the icons of finance and is now, are you the founder or co-founder of Puck? What would, what's your title there? I'm one of the founding partners of Puck, yes, which is, of course, owned by its writers, which is, I think, a very wonderful development in the history of the world. Yeah, and you guys have gotten, let me say, you guys have gotten a ton of traction really quickly. I'm constantly reading or your work is being referenced uh, anywhere. So Puck is a hot young media property. So Bill, uh, I love, you've gotten a ton of press around your, you've kind of become the Yoda around the Elon saga. And the reason I wanted you on today uh, is to talk about that. And, or when I say Elon, the Elon slash Twitter saga, I'd love to get, let's start. What is the state of play right now? Where would you describe the current state of Elon's proposed acquisition of Twitter? Um, I think I would say, Scott, that the market is anticipating him actually being childish uh, and asking for a price cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the market is like, for Twitter, is like 37 bucks a share. His offer is 54.20 in cash. You know, we're not talking stock here. If it were stock, then okay, maybe the valuation might be, you know, more fungible, but Cash is supposed to be cash, so he's offering fifty four twenty in cash. Obviously, the market no longer believes that people are going to get fifty four twenty in cash, and and that means sort of everybody's just sort of waiting around for him to figure out uh, the best way to ask for his price cut. So um, I want to take the other side of this. I want to have a discussion mm-hmm. with you because sure. you, you. I don't want to acknowledge where we've had disagreements. You've been more right than I have. I don't think he's looking for a price cut. I think mm. he's looking to get the hell out of Dodge. Mm. And that is he's seen the the his currency, his wealth decline 35, maybe 40% after the closing market today. And on the other side of the coin, I don't think the board would entertain him coming back. He's violated the non-disparagement agreement. He's violated the securities disclosure agreement. He's violated the confidentiality agreement. He's violated the initial agreement to go on the board. Doesn't this board look like assholes if they basically fall for this again? I mean, do agreements with this guy mean anything? Would they accept? Would they entertain a lower price? Well, first of all, let me say that, that you know, I just because I think the market is awaiting a price cut, quote unquote, offer from him, yep. um, I, I think you could also be absolutely correct. He could just have said, what the hell did I get myself into here? Am, am I really going to uh, sacrifice everything I've built in Tesla uh, on the altar of Twitter? Now, I think it's important to to note that a lot of people are sort of linking the two stocks together because of the margin loan, which is now six and a half billion dollars uh, that he has, you know, got a commitment for that is tied to his Tesla stock. But that loan does not exist yet, Scott. None of the financing exists yet, because obviously, like take the the twelve or thirteen billion dollar senior secured financing uh, that he's proposing for Twitter. Obviously, that loan doesn't exist because he doesn't own the assets yet to pledge them as collateral. So nothing exists on the financing side. So 
everybody's like saying, oh my God, he must be getting margin calls on his Tesla stock because it's tied to the Twitter. No, none of that's happened yet. Uh, Tesla stock is falling because as we've discussed before, Tesla stock is like hugely overvalued uh, and all of sort of tech land is taking a hit right now. So the fact that it's down 40% actually does not have anything to do with Twitter. Now, uh, look, he, he played the board in round one like a maestro, uh, but now he's in a very tough position with the board because now the board's going to hold him to account to what he signed. Like, mm-hmm. you signed a merger agreement with us with uh, pr- out, you know, representations and warranties and breakup provisions and things that you can do to get out of it. Look, and if you want to get out of it, okay, we can litigate, you can pay us the billion dollars, you can do uh, any number of, of, of other things. Now, having said that, uh, everything is a negotiation, even a signed merger agreement. Uh, and so uh, if you know he hadn't done any due diligence prior to you know signing the merger agreement, which is of course, you know, uh, you know somewhat foolish, but maybe that's the way he felt he should do it. Uh, and now he's quote doing his due diligence. And now he's quote you know finding things like bots, and he's obviously looking for reasons to cut the price. Now, obviously, we all knew. 5420 was like manna sent from heaven. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're on the board of this company, uh, and I don't know what the line is, Scott, but there's a line for fairness. Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase have done their fairness opinions. There's a band of fairness. It's not just a point, it's a band. Where in this band uh, of fairness, you know, any price cut, uh, uh, might fall is, of course, the open question. So, look, if he went to 50, that's still fair. If he went uh-huh. to 45, my guess is that would be still fair. Uh, I think that, you know, and it's got to be something with like 420 at the end. So maybe it needs to be uh-huh. 4420 or something. Uh-huh. If it was 4420, 10 bucks less, they would still take that, Scott. And they would be pissed off. A lot of ARBs would be pissed off and probably sue the heck out of him. Although, what, how do you sue the world's richest guy? Not exactly sure. Uh, you know, a lot of shareholders would be pissed. There'd be shareholder lawsuits. But I think the board would, you know, reluctantly agree to say it's fair. If he becomes a total asshole and tries to do something like in the threes, like where the stock is trading now, then the board's going to walk away and tell him to go pound sand and the whole thing will blow up. You'll, you'll be right. He'll be, I mean, he, is you know as we've discussed, I mean, most deal guys would never operate this way. I mean, most people who care about their reputation as deal guys would never. They would do the first phase, how we got to the merger agreement. Everything uh-huh. since the merger agreement has been buffoonery. So let's talk a little bit about. Let's start with Twitter's not value but market value. So he started acquiring shares in January when the stock was at thirty-two bucks. If you look at the peer group, whether it's Snap, whether it's Meta. Uh, and their performance since he started acquiring shares at thirty-two bucks, they're off thirty to forty percent. Meaning that the the I natural slap, snap is off seventy percent. Seventy. I didn't know yeah. that. It's off. Yeah. Okay, so well, let's call it. Let's call it. Just let's be generous. That from thirty-two bucks, the natural level for Twitter, I think you'd argue, without this exogenous Elon event, would be about twenty bucks right now. 
And he signed a contract where my understanding is he waived diligence uh, for fifty four fifty. I can't imagine. Yeah. I'm sorry, fifty four twenty. Excuse yeah. me. It, it this seems like now it's nothing but a negotiation to reduce the breakup fee. Well, first of all, Scott, it, it, it seems like a lifetime ago that he agreed to fifty four twenty, but it was April twenty yeah. fifth. Is that but right? Isn't that interesting? You know, uh, yeah, Scott Knox, his lawyer, uh, his law firm, gave Twitter a draft copy of the merger agreement on April twenty fourth. So they turned it around and signed it in a day. Now, the market has had a rough go for the last seven or eight weeks. And in the middle of what was the ongoing rough go, he agreed to pay fifty-four twenty. So obviously it was fair. There are people who say, oh, my God, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he should pay more. You know, it's not fair. You know, there should be an out. Microsoft should pay 70. I mean, there's like nobody coming in to pay more. The other thing is the board of Twitter did not even authorize its bankers to call third-party potential acquirers because either they knew that uh, nobody would say yes uh, or be interested, or you know there was such a big advertisement on Twitter put on Twitter because of all the publicity around Elon's bid that if anybody was really interested at above fifty-four twenty, they'd come out of the woodwork. Obviously. No one is interested above 54.20. So um, if I'm the board, I just do what the board says, which was we intend to enforce the contract that we signed with this guy. Now, that doesn't mean that, as we were talking about, that you know, if Elon comes back and says, all right, I'll give you 44.20, which is a, quite the slap, they know the board knows, its bankers know, just as you said, that without Elon, it's in the 20s. It's got a two-handle. So 44-20 still looks pretty good. But at some point, the embarrassment factor, the unfairness factor, the schmuck factor is too much. And they'll, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll say no, and then he'll have to decide. So then what happens? He'll have to decide whether he blinks as opposed to the board blinks. He'll have to decide whether to pay the billion dollars or whatever it is that he has to pay to get out of this thing. Uh, and he'll have to decide then whether to slap a tender offer in the paper and go completely hostile at 25 and see who shows up. Or he just walks away and pretends this never happens. But it's not going to result in Tesla stock going back up, by the way. Because, again, the, the margin loan related to Tesla and Twitter does not exist yet. So let's let's try and talk about what we think is probably a known known, and that is he doesn't want to close on this deal at fifty four twenty. Yeah, and so he either does either wants to close on a much lower price, or he just doesn't want to close at all. He's like, okay, right. just get me out of here. Yeah. What now let's talk. Let's talk about the exit wounds. There is a billion dollar breakup fee, but there's also a specific performance clause, right? That right. It's uh, I, I think Twitter in a Delaware court will make the argument. Oh no. You he owe has us. To close. You have to close. But this goes back to what you said. Can how do, can you force someone to show up with forty five billion dollars? Can you legally enforce that? And if you can't, which I don't think you can, what is there any precedence for the kind of damages or judgment that he might be looking at? Deals have been required to be closed via specific performance clauses. That has happened. Okay, that yep. people have been required 
to close deals right. by the court. Now, I don't think I've ever heard of a deal being required to be closed of this magnitude, uh, where the person on the other side is the world's richest guy. But I mean, it would be well within the rights of the Twitter board to to go to Delaware court and demand that he's completely conceded all of the power in this relationship to the Twitter board. But let me, let me ask you this though. Okay. So I don't think you can physically force someone to show up with 45 billion, but you could technically say you failed to show up. You owe the company 45 billion. Could that happen? Company shareholders. Yes. You owe the company shareholders 45 million. Yes. He, he, I mean, I don't, I don't know how they enforce that. I mean, you know, uh, what's the enforcement mechanism? I, I guess it's, I mean, a violating a contract, it's a, it's a tort, right? It's a civil uh-huh. lawsuit. I, I, I don't think it's criminal, so they, I don't think they can put him in jail. Uh, they can fine him until he complies, I guess. Because when I talk to people about this, they said, I, I've heard two viewpoints, and that is, Scott, there's precedent for uh, organizations walking from deals. In 2008, a lot of very name-brand private equity firms, the market, they agreed, they signed a merger agreement or a purchase agreement, the market changed substantially, and they started saying, oh, no, something's changed, material adverse condition, whatever it is, force de majeure, and we're out. Right. And they had to pay a price. It was a negotiation. They had to pay breakup fees, but they weren't on the hook for the full purchase amount. Now, and so I've had people say, there's precedent for this. He'll pay something, but it won't be anything near the $45 billion, and all of this is the beginning of that negotiation. And then I've had other people say, actually, Scott, since then, because of that, these agreements have become more airtight and that he effectively signed what is a hermetically sealed agreement where the lawyers for Twitter, who are $1,200 an hour lawyers, said, we're going to button this thing up like no fucking tomorrow. According to the people I know, said this agreement is going to go down as one of the most airtight agreements in history, where they probably screwed up was the breakup fee, because that's kind of that's a key point in the negotiation. But it strikes me, and again, I, I don't know Delaware court uh, uh, legal history here, but we're in uncharted territory. I've never seen anything like I started as an investment banker like you. I've never seen anything remotely similar to this, and it goes to a whole host of societal issues where these individuals not only think but have real evidence that they can behave the rules don't apply to them, that they can just do shit no one else has been able to do before. Do you think there's a, and this might be me projecting, do you think a Delaware court might say, you know what, this notion that people don't have to live up to agreements is dangerous for a lot of reasons. I was thinking of a scenario here where Apple says, we're going to buy Netflix, it's cheap. Netflix is, this overnight is going to cement us as the premier media company in the world. And then Zuckerberg goes, you know what? I can't, I hate Apple. I hate Tim Cook. I can't let this happen. Outbid them. And they go, what? Would we really pay that much? I don't care. Just outbid them. Get them to sign a contract. And in six or nine months, maybe we close, maybe we don't. And if it costs us a billion, two billion, five billion dollars, Elon did it. He walked. Who cares? We kept it out of the hands of Apple. You could end up with a series of just false flags and head fakes in M&A, which would be bad for shareholders, bad for rule of law. Is this where is this where potentially Delaware courts take a stand and say, boss, agreements are agreements, and we're going to hit you hard here if you decide to violate this agreement? Or is this me with my emotions getting out ahead of me? I think 
at moments like this, uh, thinking about how a court uh, would set a precedent or what the lawsuit would look like or what the, you know, going, going, to, the, going to the mattress here legally, uh, my gut tells me that we're going to have a practical solution, not a legal solution. So what is the practical solution? Okay, if you're right, and he doesn't re- want to own this thing, and it was just a foolish lark, then, I mean, is the, is the remedy that he just pays the billion dollars and walks away, or pays $5 billion and walks away, whatever it is that they have to get him to do, you know, to wrap it all up in a nice bow. And, and you know, that's happened. People have walked away from deals uh, lots of times. Uh, uh, you know, especially when the markets got rough. You know, I don't know what he's going to claim. I'm sure they can claim something. You know, one of the things he can claim, Scott, is you know, he's got the senior secure debt committed. He's got the margin left. You know, he increased the size of the equity hole from 21 to 27 and a half. You know, and then he announced that he had 7.1 percent of what I call the eclectic 18 who who are putting money in. Then he got Prince Al Walid to roll over his two billion. Elon can roll over his four billion at least at fifty four twenty. He's asked Jack to roll over, but Jack hasn't said he, he will yet. If I were Jack, I'd take that money and run. Um, so, but if you do all that math, the twenty seven and a half billion dollar equity hole is still about fourteen billion, which he hasn't explained yet. Now that is, I can't get my equity financing. That's my out. I can't get it. I'm sorry. I've tried. I can't get it. My Tesla stock is tied up. So he has he has outs. It's forget the bot thing. The bot thing is so stupid, it's not even worth talking about. Can he get the financing? It's possible that, you know, uh, uh the senior debt holders, the senior uh banks who committed to the bank financing might uh get squeamish. It's possible that Morgan Stanley at all who committed to the to the margin loan would get squeamish, but I don't see that happening because he reduced the margin loan in half. Uh, so I'm not sure that's going to be out, but the equity hole of 14 billion is legit and real, and he hasn't come up in the last couple of weeks with any more uh, investors here. And I, believe me, wouldn't surprise me if no one wanted to get near the equity of this thing. Uh, I think that my gut tells me we're not going to create precedent in Delaware. Although I agree with you that all sorts of bad things could happen if Elon isn't uh, is just allowed to slither away, just like uh, a lot of bad things have happened frankly, in my mind, because Trump has been allowed to slither away. I, In one column, I equated Trump and, and Elon in terms of the way they do deals. I mean, Trump is a pariah on Wall Street. He's never been held accountable for all the things he did wrong. Elon, if he screws this up and does some of the things you talked about, he will become a pariah on Wall Street. I don't think Elon can, frankly, afford to become a pariah on Wall Street. He's gotten... <laughs> His wealth tied up in Tesla, which is a whatever, an $800 billion company now. If Wall Street, if, if that, you know, uh, a rah-rah, a Wall Street rah-rah is over, that's going to really hurt him. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So let's, let's break down. So first off, it does sound as if he can make a credible claim to a Delaware court that he couldn't get the financing, that that is a satisfactory condition of not closing. Yeah, he 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 has said he you know he I'm going to have twenty seven and a half billion dollars of equity financing here. That's a lot. It's a lot. But, that's half but let's break price. it. Let's break it down because it's not all created yeah. equally. That the the twelve or the fourteen billion dollars in senior secured debt financing, he can get right. that because the lenders go look for whatever Twitter's failings are. It's worth twelve or fourteen billion dollars. So we'll loan because if he defaults. We'll take control of the company. Well, it's worth- that'll be secured debt, secured based on the assets of right. Twitter. I don't know what the hell the assets of Twitter are, but well, whatever they are, they're all going It is to a company that, that does a billion dollars in EBITDA, and there's a bunch of people out there that claim it's worth a lot more. Yes. Anyway, right. so, right. Yeah. Yes. so I can see how he's lined up the debt financing. The on the equity side, uh, the senior debt financing, excuse me. On the equity side, I don't think anybody other than a few VC funds who will put 50 or 100 million in just to cozy up to Elon for future deals are not calling him and saying, hey, FYI, I'm not down any longer with going in at 5450 on a company that looks like it'd be worth in the 20s right now. That just makes no sense. You can agree that the world has changed and you don't, I won't say anything publicly, but I'm out for the equity side of this. Now, that should, if you will, trigger his yeah, give him a ripcord to pull and say to a judge, I couldn't raise the equity financing. But if he's worth, if he's got $150 billion in Tesla stock, can the judge then say, boss, you may not want to show up with this money, but you're capable of it. So I'm holding you to this purchase agreement because you are capable of raising this equity just by selling Tesla stock. That may be bad for Tesla. That may be a lack of diversification or a bad business decision you don't want to make financially, but you are absolutely capable of showing up with this equity. Could they make that argument? I'm certain that they could make that argument. You know, what we don't know about Elon and his personal balance sheet is what other cockamamie things he's done. Yeah, has he committed it? Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Is it already committed? I mean, I have no idea how he's funded SpaceX. I mean, and there's been a lot of capital put into SpaceX. Let's not kid ourselves. And by the way, what he's done with SpaceX is pretty amazing, right? Extraordinary. Getting Extraordinary. those rockets to land on the platform. Yeah, I think it's going to be worth more than Tesla uh, yeah. uh, so, for, so for a lot incredible. of reasons. And I have no idea how he financed that. So what we don't know is what the rest of his, how he's pledged that Tesla stock isn't even free to be used as collateral to, for more equity. All as he said on the equity side here is, I'm going to show up with $27.5 billion. He, he's showed up with like $13.5 billion so far. And that includes his stock that he would roll over. So he's got $14 billion to, um, to come up with. The 7.1 is the eclectic 18. And that's just like, okay, you know, Larry Ellison saying, sure, Elon, uh, you know, I'll write you a check. You know, if this thing ever closes from my foundation, but that could easily be pulled. Any of those could be pulled. You know, I don't think any of those will pull. I don't know. I don't know half of them. Uh, what I find so interesting about that eclectic 18 
is that none of them are private equity firms. You know, there's like there's there's no Blackstone, there's no Apollo, there's no TPG, there's no KKR. That's like a whole group of you know deep dry powder, deep pocketed equity players that has just like said NFW. And 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 by the way, I don't blame them because as you just said, you know, look, we can be generous. We can say Twitter is going to do a billion dollars or EBITDA. You know, that's being generous. So 44 times EBITDA. That's what he's proposed here. 44 times EBITDA. You know, uh, I think uh, while private equity deals have gotten really out of control in terms of valuations in the last few years, it's, you know, maxed out at like 11 and 12 times EBITDA. That's maxed out. Used to be six, seven, eight times EBITDA now because of the cheap financing and everybody's got so much money. 11 and 12 times EBITDA, whatever they can make their IRRs. 44, that's a totally different zip code. So I don't see any private equity firms coming into this unless they want to be friends of Elon. Does anybody want to be friends of Elon? Does Steve Schwartzman want to be friends with Elon? I don't think so. The bottom line is, if he's looking for an out, we both know he's going to find one. And, and, and no one's going to challenge him legally on it. They may say, okay, instead of a $1 billion breakup fee, pay us $3 billion. Okay? Uh, now, if he, you don't think so I, 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 let me just push pause there. Now, granted, I'm emotional, but I've been on a lot we of public company boards. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Bill. Uh, I would be like, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna hit this bitch hard. We're gonna go. Uh, my attitude right now would be, we're closing. We'll see you at closing. We're hoping to see you on closing. And if we don't see you on closing, we know we'll see you in a Delaware court. And our starting position is you owe us forty five billion dollars. That's the agreement. You have the money. This will be our case. And at this point, we're not settling for 44. That's that's how I would approach this on the board. Because when I think about the damage here, Bill, I mean, I feel as if he has basically laid bare that Twitter is worth a lot less than it is. No one would come in. No other bidders. You were right. I thought there'd be other bidders. There weren't. An enormous distraction to the company. Shit posting everywhere. My guess is it's got to be chaos among senior management. Do I want to work for this guy? What happens to my job? I'm going to start returning the calls of headhunters looking to, 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 that are offering me jobs that I haven't taken for 10 years, much to the detriment of my family's economic security. I'm out. I am punching out. And, and Parag feels like he can't say anything. This guy, and I've said this all along, and again, I have a bias against Elon because he calls me names on Twitter. But he brings volatility, not value, to his side hustles. He has literally been an agent of chaos here. I mean, there might be a good thing that might come from it is if they actually address the bot issue. I've always said it's a huge problem. He's the one that benefits from the bots. The bots that attack me all have Tesla in their bios. And his, his bots have unnaturally, in my view, elevated the price of Tesla stock by creating this narrative that Tesla's this amazing energy company that's solving climate change. This feels like it has all sorts of what I would call societal and M&A and corporate rule of law and rule of fair play overlay. So to wrap up here, you think kind of, it sounds to me like kind of possibly a lower number. You think in the fours, the board would accept it, hum and ha, but then accept it. Anything lower than that, they walk and it's going to be a negotiation over a breakup fee, but you don't think it's going to be a game-changing judgment against him that he'll probably get away with I don't know, a, a fairly expensive rap on the knuckles, but it won't be anything sort of 
precedent yeah, setting. We're, we're not. It's not going to be a transcendent. It's not going to be like the Revlon decision from 1986. It's not going to be a transcendent legal uh, battle because because even though if you were on the Twitter board, Scott, and I have no doubt that you would be vocal and you would say these things, okay, then what would happen? Okay? <laughs> put me in a I'll corner. T- right. I'll <laughs> what tell they you what always would do. What would happen is is what always happens. Then uh, Wilson Sonsini and Simpson Thatcher, Twitter's two law firms would say, Scott, you're right to be emotional. You're, you're right on the business points. You're probably even right on the legal points. But, okay, do we really want to go down this path of, of, of scorched earth legal battle with the world's richest guy? And then all your other board members will all talk about it, will hash about it, will have executive sessions about it. Everybody will talk about it and think of sleep on it, sleep on it, we'll come back tomorrow and then cooler heads, cooler heads will prevail, Scott. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. practical solution will be let's try to either get the best new deal for our shareholders that we can get, or mm-hmm. if he doesn't want to go that route or he's going to be a real jackass about it, then then, you know, for hell with that. Let's just get a better, let's get five billion out of him. And he can walk away. We can have five billion more that we could use for who knows what at Twitter and run this company as a public company. Take our lumps along with all of our brethren like Snap and Meta and everybody else and and trade in the 20s. Yes, there'll be shareholder lawsuits, but I don't think the shareholder lawsuits are going to be directed to the Twitter board. I think the shareholder lawsuits are going to be directed to Elon Musk. And who knows how that's going to play out. But, you know, he always manages to wiggle out. And uh, uh, then they'll they'll go on and they'll, you know, Twitter will be, quote unquote, fine. Elon will have completely eviscerated his reputation on Wall Street and what the implications of that are for Tesla, SpaceX and the boring company and anything else cockamamie that he wants to do. Well, we'll, ha- we'll have to watch and see what happens. Yeah, I think the I think the good money is on the viewpoint from the guy with the hair. I Bill, just when you say that, you just sound infinitely reasonable and practical. And I'm I'm neither of those things. Bill Cohan is an author and the founding uh, partner, a founding member, partner, journalist of Puck, and has kind of been the go-to on the Elon Twitter drama. Uh, uh, Bill, I really I I love speaking to you. You. You're both insightful and civil, and I love how you're able to encapsulate both sides of the argument and make a what feels like an infinitely reasonable, um, I don't know. I, I, every time you say something, even though I, I, I want to disagree, I find myself just nodding my head and going, you know, that just makes a lot of sense. Bill, thanks for your time. Thank you, Scott. Always a pleasure to be on with you, truly. <laughs> <laughs>